Welcome to Take Care. This is the podcast that helps you understand the background and habits of change makers. Host Rish Sharma and his guests give you the wisdom to help you learn a little more and get a bit better every episode. Hey everyone, welcome to Take Care. Today's guest is Sari Murray, the CEO and founder of Curie. Welcome, Sarah. Really excited to have you here with us. Thank you. I'm so excited too. So I'd just like to give the audience a little bit of a backstory about yourself. If you could just tell the background story of what led you to start Curie and a bit about yourself as well. Yeah, so I am Sarah. I'm the founder and CEO of Curie. Initially launched Curie in 2018 as a total side hustle, still had a full-time job and ran Curie packing orders nights and weekends. Grew it to a six-figure business with essentially no marketing budget. And that was because I think we just hit on a need in the market, which was clean products made with safer ingredients, but without sacrificing efficacy. Mm-hmm. And there was one product in particular that there was a lot of frustration around, and that was natural deodorant, aluminum-free mm-hmm. deodorant. There weren't a lot of alternatives that really worked for people mm-hmm. and especially super active and busy, <laughs> sweaty people, frankly, mm-hmm. like myself. And that was really what our initial focus was. And again, we hit on a need in the market, which was a product that was clean and safe, but actually worked. So I've been at it for about three years, but started working full-time on Curie about halfway through 2019. Okay. And was the insight to find, you know, this need that was out there? Like, how did that story of stumbling upon kind of, this is an idea I want to jump on, I want to start to create after seeing that need? It started as a personal need. So I, the, the real backstory is I worked in venture capital uh, prior to starting Curie. So I worked for one of the funds that I worked for I was focused on consumer investing, so seed stage consumer companies. And this was like 2016, 2017, when health and wellness and clean beauty was really becoming more of a mainstream category. It was no longer just an aisle in Whole Foods for crunchy hippie products. It became really mainstream with Goop launching and Moon Juice. Like I remember Moon Juice opened up around the corner from my office and I was like shocked. They had a line down the block. Beauty counter started around that time. And being in venture capital, I had this front row seat to health and wellness and clean beauty becoming more of a mainstream uh, category. And so I got really interested just personally in the space and started doing tons of research on the ingredients that 
go on that go in these like conventional beauty and personal care products and realized and was honestly shocked by how toxic some of these chemicals Mm -hmm. are not only for your body but also they bioaccumulate in the environment and there's just so many chemicals that are just put into these conventional products that are not safe for the human body or for the environment and so I started swapping out all of my products for clean alternatives everything from you know toothpaste to deodorant to makeup anything that I was putting on my skin every day, I started to swap out and try to find cleaner, safer alternatives. Deodorant was something that I could not find anything that worked for me. I tried every deodorant, clean aluminum free deodorant out there and nothing worked for me. I am super active. I am a marathon runner. I, you know, had a really busy career and was always on the move and I couldn't make the sacrifice. Like I couldn't sacrifice efficacy for clean products. Like I just wasn't willing to smell bad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I, and I know that a lot of people felt that way. And so it just became this obsession where I I couldn't stop talking about natural deodorant and all my friends, I would talk about it with my friends and, and frankly, anyone that would listen and realize that it was a problem for a lot of people as well. And so I decided if this isn't an issue for me, it's probably an issue for other people. Let's just, let's see if we can make something better. So I hired um, a a team of chemists that have experience in personal care and particularly in deodorant (laughs) and put down a deposit and was like, let's try to make a, let's try to make a better formula, something that actually works, but is safe for your body. And it took us about a year. That is the great thing about running something as a side hustle. I was in no hurry. I figured let's try to make a formula. If we do awesome, if it's not possible. Oh, and so we worked with our team for almost a year on our first formula and probably iterated on the formula, like 25 plus times Mm -hmm. until we really got it. And that was that aha moment where I felt like not only is this something that works for me, this is going to work for other people as well. And that's when I decided to turn Curie into a brand. Thank you for breaking that, breaking that down. Just curious when you were testing the efficacy of it, what were some of the criteria you were looking for on all those irritations? all those different versions of the formula what were some of the criteria oh there was a lot of criteria but first obviously it had to work like I was my own first customer I I will be totally honest I am sweaty I cannot I could not use natural deodorant because by noon I smelled bad so I was a really good um, test subject because nothing else really worked for me so first of all had to work first and foremost I knew that was the biggest issue that people had with natural deodorants and so that was the most important thing to me is efficacy does it work second was texture that's also a big complaint with uh natural deodorants is that they tend to be gritty and 
rough because they don't have all those chemical emollients that conventional your secret deodorants and doves of the world have Mm -hmm. in them. And so I really wanted a texture that felt smooth and soft and had that glideability that conventional, you know, chemical filled products have. And then I also wanted it to smell really good. So Mm -hmm. that scent for me is uh, really important. Mm -hmm. And I felt like a lot of the clean, like natural deodorants that I was buying from Whole Foods and testing out, they all smelled like a little bit, I, I always joke, like they kind of just made you smell like a pine tree. Mm-hmm. I didn't really want that, that yeah. like uh, natural smell. I wanted it to smell, of course I want it to smell natural, but I want it to smell fresh and feminine and amazing. Cause you do get a whiff of your underarms throughout the day. And I wanted them to smell good. I didn't want a scent like patchouli that's going to collapse clash with the scents that I'm wearing, my perfume and shampoo and all of that. So I wanted something that smelled fresh and delicious. I wanted it to be effective. I wanted it to glide on. And lastly, I wanted it to be great for sensitive skin. I have, I have pretty sensitive skin. I've had some issues with natural deodorants causing rashes and irritation. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to create something that worked well for sensitive skin and also had some other moisturizing properties to it as well. Since our primary customer base is females and a lot of females shave their underarms, you get irritation when you're shaving your underarms every day or every other day. And so we also incorporated some ingredients in there like aloe, chamomile extract, cucumber extract that are really soothing for um, irritated underarms. So those are the main criteria, but we, I didn't just test it on myself. We also have, have tested it on tons of different friends, family members, and now customers. And we are always, always taking feedback and changing accordingly. So we've actually uh, made improvements to our deodorant formula twice since we've launched. And that's all just based on customer feedback. So yeah. always c- focused on continuous improvement. Yeah, that's a positive uh, feedback loop for sure. So just curious if there's a lot of people uh, listening to the podcast that are aspiring entrepreneurs or kind of thinking of what they want to start or they have an idea and they're looking to start, would you give the advice yeah. to somebody that is launching a business to do it the way that you did, which is as a side hustle and then look to launch once there's some sort of traction or do you think it's unique for each situation? It's definitely unique for each situation. I'm happy with the way I did it. And I, if I were to do it over again, I would do it the same way. It was, and the reason is, so first I did not raise any money up front. I did not raise any upfront capital, which Mm -hmm. was ironic, just given that I had come from a venture capital background and probably could have raised money, but I wanted to test the market and see if I had, if the idea had legs before I did that. And so I saved up because we spent a year working on the formula, I had plenty of time to plan. Mm -hmm. And so I saved up and 
put my own, I think it was like $12,000 of my savings into our first production run and launching the company and getting it up and running. And I did everything myself. I built our website. I designed the packaging, taught myself Adobe Illustrator. I was our social media manager for the first year and a half. I, it was really pretty scrappy, but doing it that way, the way I did it versus the raise $3 million before you even launch method. Mm -hmm. To me, the way I did it helped me validate the market, validate that we had a product that people wanted and that people wanted to buy. And therefore, by the time I, I ended up raising money early, early 2020. And by the time we got to that point, I had thousands of customers that loved our product, repeat purchasers, subscribers, and tons of feedback to, to take that and then taking that information and going and raising money made uh, that process so much easier. And I just had so much more confidence knowing that I had, I had a business, I had a thriving business and I didn't need to raise money to make my idea come to life. I had already done it on my own. Mm -hmm. To me, that was really important, but I every entrepreneur has a different risk tolerance and not everyone is in a position in life that they can do that. Plus not every product can be launched on a $12,000 budget. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we were lucky in that deodorant is something that's a lower, a lower cost. We were able to find manufacturers that were willing to do small orders. So I also recognize that not every business totally depends on the business model, but not every business can be launched on a $12,000 budget. It just, I, it worked for me and I'm happy the way we did it because I was able to have that year and a half of, of validating the market and knowing that we were on to something before I really put fuel on the fire. Thank you for breaking down your uh, insights. I think a lot of people will take value from that. Uh, just so I'm just going to take it back to like the beginning again. So you've spent the $12,000. You've got your first production run. How'd you go about getting the first hundred customers for the business? So I, my exact method was I, when I say we were scrappy, I really mean it. I had no budget for, for marketing. I didn't have a PR firm or anything like that. And so for our launch, I just reached out. I sent an email to basically every person that I knew, like friends, family members, like friends of friends, people that I hadn't talked to in years. Like I just fired off an email to everybody that I knew and was like, Hey, I'm launching this brand. It's called Curie. We, we are creating a we created an aluminum free deodorant. It smells amazing. It actually works. Here's a code to try it for, I can't remember what discount I gave them. Here's a code to try it, a friends and family code. Buy it. Let me know what you think. And if you love it, we, I'd love for you to post it on social media. And I sent that email out, I think a week before we launched and a lot of people took advantage of it and were excited to support. And so that helped on launch day. We had I, I told everyone to launch, to post on the same day. And we had a lot of that did that. And that was so helpful. And I'm like forever grateful to everybody who did that. 
for me because that really was how we acquired our first hundred plus customers was having friends and family posting on social media, tagging the brand. Again, we were lucky in the aluminum free deodorant, clean deodorant was something that was a hot category and something that people were talking about. Like my friends were talking about it. Courtney Kardashian was talking about it. Like people were just talking about aluminum free deodorant and it was becoming something that everyone wanted to try and was curious about. Mm-hmm. So I think we were also just lucky that we were tailwinds and we were able to get the product out there at the right time mm-hmm. when people were curious about it. And so having all of my friends and family post about it and then their friends and family purchasing it and then them posting about it. And that was how the flywheel started. And I think one other thing that we did was I wrote handwritten letters for every order. I think probably the first thousand orders, I wrote a handwritten note in the package. And in that note, I asked people to share it on their social media. And so we got lots and lots of sharing in those first couple Mm -hmm. of months. And then in terms of non-friends and family customer acquisition, I just did a lot on our social media. I was constantly posting, constantly like posting stories and then also just reaching out to influencers and asking them if they would try the product. We weren't in a place where we could pay influencers, but again, it was a product that people were curious about, a category that people were curious about. So we had a lot of luck and by we I had a lot of luck in that first six months of reaching out to influencers and gifting them the deodorant and them posting about it just totally organically. So we had in those first few months, influencers with like hundreds of thousands of followers that posted about Curie and that definitely converted it as well. And then the last piece was we, I started just reaching out to, we didn't have a PR firm. I didn't have the budget for it. So I just started, I think a lot of founders underestimate how easy it is to find contact information for a lot of journalists. It's pretty easy through um, a quick Google search to find journalists that are writing about your category and then tracking down their email address. One of the tools I use is called Rocket Reach. Mm -hmm. And I found tons of journalists email addresses. And I just reached out, wrote really personal emails to them, asked them if I could send them products. And we actually did get some press that way. So I think the lesson there is like, you don't necessarily need, if you can't, if you don't have the budget for a PR firm, PR is amazing. But if you don't have the budget for it, then just reach out yourself and you might have a few emails that you don't get responses to, but the ones that do respond, you could potentially get some great press placement out of. So I think we got in Glamour Magazine in the first couple of months of the business because um, of one of those cold outreach emails. That was, that is great for so much value. I appreciate breaking down all the various tactics and insights. Uh, I think the audience is going to love all of that. But I'd just like to take it, obviously, it's no business when you start is is all is always a linear trajectory up. What were some of the challenges, drawbacks along the way that that made you grow from learn learn a mistake that you made 
so that you could make the company a better company of today? Yeah, I think one of the biggest mistakes, first of all, no business is linear, especially a business that isn't really spending on marketing. I think when you have thousands of dollars that are going into Facebook ads every month, you you might see more consistent growth and consistent sales. But for us in the first year, even first two years, we saw a lot of choppy choppiness in terms of sales. And that was scary at times. Sometimes we'd have amazing days where we do thousands of dollars in sales and that was a huge win. And then the next week we'd have barely any. And that was always really scary because always in my head would be like, are people going to come back? Like, Mm -hmm. where did everybody go? And so I think that was just the nature of the way that we were acquiring customers. Influencers would post and there'd be sometimes a lull where they wouldn't, or we would have high points and low points. And Mm -hmm. that was always like a little bit scary in the early days. I, I think the biggest mistakes that I've made, one is not trying to do everything myself basically, not delegating enough. I think especially in the first year or so, I tried to do everything and Mm -hmm. didn't want to hire anybody. I didn't want to give up any control. Mm -hmm. And finally, I, I, uh, now we have a team and I've, I've gotten great at delegating tasks, especially stuff that I know I'm not an expert in. And, but that was tough and something that took me a while to learn. And I think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with is how to learn to let go and learn to delegate tasks so that you can focus your time on what is going to have the biggest impact on the business. So I think that's been the biggest learning is, is don't try to do everything yourself. And then another big learning was we sold out a a couple of times and that it sounds exciting on the outside like people are like wow you sold out that's amazing but in reality selling out of product especially we have we now have three SKUs we have our stick deodorant our spray deodorant and our hand sanitizer actually four we also have now our detox mask so we now have more um more options but Mm -hmm. For the first, for the first year, we only had our stick deodorant and we only had one scent. So we had one skew. When you have one skew and you sell out of that skew multiple times, that really slows down your momentum. Mm -hmm. And especially for a product like deodorant, where we have a lot of repeat purchasers. And so people, if you sell out, then they're going to go elsewhere. And so that was a big mistake that I made was not doing a great job of forecasting and frankly, not picking a very good manufacturing partner that really was in our corner. Mm -hmm. We've since gotten a new uh, manufacturer, but we haven't been sold out for long stretches of time really had a negative impact on the business. And that was a mistake that I made was not investing in, you know, forecasting early enough, good forecast, creating good forecasts and not investing in the right manufacturing partner that really had our. 
think it's a lot of rinse and repeat you learn and along the way and you make the improvements and so it sounds like you've learned from that and made the improvements so mm -hmm. you mentioned you've mentioned you expanded um into new SKUs recently uh so additional three SKUs to the first one SKU of the deodorant how'd you go about choosing what the next SKUs would be uh what that your you know customers would resonate with or attract new customers how did we go about figuring out what to make next you mean yeah exactly yeah so we like i said it about constantly listening to customer feedback and really incorporating that and taking it to heart and not being afraid to make updates and make improvements to our formula we do the same thing with new products like we've really let our customers drive new product innovation so the the second product that we launched the first product was our stick deodorant the second product we launched with our was our spray deodorant and that was in direct response to our customers who were loved our signature scents we have three signature scents our orange neroli our white tea and our grapefruit cassis and our customers were constantly telling us how much they loved our scents and how they wanted we kept getting requests for body lotion and body wash. And some people were like, can you make this a perfume? I want this to be like my scent. <laughs> and listening to that feedback, we decided to make a body spray and then figured, hey, let's put our active ingredients in it so that it's not only a body spray, but it's a deodorant body spray. So you can spritz it not only I use it as my underarm deodorant every single day, but you can also use it on your whole body if you have boob sweat, back sweat, or you just want to fresh. That's really the purpose of the deodorant spray. So that was driven by customers. We also, same thing with the hand sanitizer. We launched our hydrating hand sanitizer in May of 2020, which was in during the COVID pandemic when yep. there was a big shortage of hand sanitizer. We had already been working on that formula. So one of our big strategies is we part we have partnerships with a lot of big major fitness studios and that was a product that they had asked for was hand sanitizer and so we had already been working on our hand sanitizer formula even before covid started um but once the pandemic started we were like what can we do what can we do to improve our customers lives and be there for our community and mm -hmm. it was a no-brainer let's move the timeline up for the hand sanitizer launch. We launched that in May. It really <laughs> helped us. Because I, can't, I can imagine a lot of, a lot yeah. of people don't know this, but COVID one of the, you know, impacts of COVID was that deodorant sales just fell off a cliff. <laughs> we're staying at home and they just weren't buying as much deodorant. And so I think if we hadn't acted quickly and jumped on that and gotten our production going on the hand sanitizer early. I'm not sure how we would have made it through 2020 because it took a while for deodorant sales to recover. They've mm -hmm. since recovered and now hand sanitizer is only a small percentage of our total sales. But in, in peak pandemic, like May, June, the hand sanitizer really saved us. So that was a direct response to what was happening in the world and what we needed to do 
what we felt like we needed to do for our community and our customers. And it really paid off. And then the detox mask, which we just launched a couple of months ago, it's, it's for your underarms. So it's like a pit detox mask. Mm. That was actually an interesting story. It, that started out as a blog post. We posted a blog like in 2019 with a recipe in it that you could make your own detox mask at home. And the purpose is detox masks. Like it helps you get through the transition to a natural deodorant faster. Mm-hmm. And it just helps you cleanse and, and take care of your underarms if you have any irritation. And so we posted a recipe on our blog in like 2019. And it, it has been our most popular blog post. It drives so much organic traffic every month. And people love this mask. And they were like tagging us on Instagram. Hey, I made your DIY pit mask, like people were so excited about it. And so we figured let's make it easy and just bottle it up and sell it. And so that was how that product was born. That's uh, so interesting. It seems that your process and your story is so focused around your consumer. And I love to see that brands that are so focused to their consumer are succeeding and are made it through. But since you, you said you launched the hand sanitizer in the middle of the pandemic, how was it launching a brand new product in the middle of kind of everything, especially a product that's so in demand? Yeah, it was wild, especially because we, we didn't have like packaging or anything figured out. It was, we had been working on the formula for months because we had to do tons and tons of testing because hand sanitizers and OTC that is has to have the drug facts panel on the back. Like it's a regulated product. And Mm -hmm. so we had been working on it for quite a while. The ingredients that we added are hyaluronic acid, prickly pear seed oil, and glycerin. Mm -hmm. And so those are skincare products. That's typically products that you use on your face. And so we added them to the hand sanitizer to make it super hydrating. And that was the game changer because everybody's hands at the beginning of the pandemic were just dry and yep. overwashed. Like everyone was complaining about that. And so that was what I think made our product game changing was everyone was tired of using Purell and yeah. those cheap hand sanitizers that smelled like tequila. Yeah. And so I think what we did was we came in with a product that was truly unique it even when you like use it you, it feels different than a hand sanitizer it feels like a skincare serum but it has 70 percent ethyl alcohol so we came in with a product that was really unique it smelled really good we used our signature scents it doesn't smell like cheap tequila mm-hmm. and it came in we designed some cute packaging and launching the product i think in may we just we didn't really have a plan to be honest. (laughs) I like to say we had this like big launch plan, but it was such, we really had to rush to get it out there. Mm -hmm. So we just sent an email to our community. We did some social media posts and then we donated the first half of our first batch to first responders and um, people on the front lines. So not just, you know, healthcare workers, but also grocery workers. Mm We, donated boxes and boxes to local coffee shops that were still open. And we just tried our best again to 
do what was the right thing and what our community needed. And so we ended up donating a couple of thousand bottles of that first batch, which I felt really good about. And we, you know, we sold a lot. <laughs> we yeah. sold a lot of hand sanitizer. That's, that's a great story. And, you know, so generous of you to donate so much of it to, to, to first responders. And especially in a time when they needed it, when things were in shortage. Kudos yeah. to you and your team. So I'd just like Thank to you. move to the final question. So in the second, in this portion, we like to break down more of the personal side of our guests. What are the more, what are the routines, rituals, things that they do in their life that kind of help them to show up every day better for their customers, for their team and for themselves? So is there any particular routines or ha- ra- habits that you guys, you yourself or your team do to show up every day? Uh, yeah, I think one of the reasons we've been successful is, is really focusing on customer support. I think that is customer support. People, I think, are like the unsung heroes of direct-to-consumer brands because it's so, that is so important being having a good experience when something goes wrong or a package is late is so important to our has been so important to our success and i early on brought my sister on she is the most empathetic compassionate person and she is just a caretaker she loves she loves taking care of our family and she's just such a wonderful person. And I asked her to come on and do our customer support. And I think that was like the best thing I did was invest in really great customer support from the get-go. And to this day, that is, if you look at our reviews, we have people are the people that are shouting us from the rooftops are people that have interacted with my sister because she just exudes this, you know, care and warmth that makes people, you know, feel taken care of. And I think that's what a lot of people are looking for. So even if, even during COVID, when packages were late, because it wasn't our fault, it was, there were issues with the mail system and Mm -hmm. USPS and UPS and all of that. Even when we get people complaining, where's my package? It's been two weeks. Uh, Getting that quality care and compassion from our customer support, which is my sister, turns the, those experiences, any negative experiences into positive. And I think that's been a really big key component to our success is, is really having a focus, great customer support person and a real focus on customer support. Personally, I think I was just talking about this with someone. The, the first thing that comes to mind that's worked for me really is I work in sprints. So I think founder burnout is very common. And when you're burnt out, when you're overworked, you're not going to be, you're not going to do your best work and you're not going to do your most creative work. And I've learned that the hard way for sure, where you sometimes reach like decision paralysis because you're so burnt out and you're so, you've just been so in the weeds for so long. It's really hard to take a step back and be a good leader and decision maker. And so what's worked really well for me again is working in sprints. So I will work my butt off for 
a couple of weeks at a time, sometimes a month at a time where I'm just heads down grinding day in and day out. And I always make sure to follow that up with a break. And so right now, actually this week is one of my breaks. I am working a couple hours a day. I'm not really grinding. I'm, I'm taking time to cook dinner and catch up on shows mm. and read books and get out walking around the neighborhood every day. COVID makes it a little bit limited in what you can do, but I think making, taking those mental breaks where you take your foot off the gas for a little bit, whether it's a couple of days or even sometimes a full week, I'll take where I just give myself permission to slack off a little bit, take mm -hmm. my foot off the gas, like relax and recharge. That's been really a really important part of my personal like well-being. And also it's really helped the company with self-curry as well. Thank you for sharing that with uh, with us and the audience and so just that's a good mm -hmm. transition to the next question what does self-care mean to you i just answered it but i think going off of what i was just saying about giving yourself a chance to recharge is to me my form of self-care mm -hmm. um is taking care of me and that's different for each person. Like what that means is different for each person. But for me, it's eating well, um, not drinking a lot. I think cutting back on alcohol is important to my well-being, and that feels like self-care to me. <laughs> I don't feel good when I'm drinking, and I don't feel good the next day. And so, not cutting down on drinking, eating well and giving myself chances to recharge and relax, staying active, you know, getting outside, working out, keeping my body active is important. And then also good sleep. Like I am, I, I can't stand that like grind mentality of staying up all night is a badge of honor. And I'm so tired. Like I barely slept last night. I've been working till 4am. I think that mentality is not healthy for anybody, especially as a founder, because again, you're not going to do your best work when you've got three hours of sleep. So yeah. I think sleep to me is part of my self-care routine and making sure that I'm getting eight, nine hours of sleep every night is important to me. is next question would be what uh is a new favorite product that you've tried recently that that you've tried that you're raving about that you're talking about with your friends that you purchased recently oh i am a product junkie i love products um especially like personal care and beauty products so a product that i purchased recently that i love is ilia their face oil. So I, uh, again, I love clean products, especially, and is a clean brand, clean beauty brand. They're super transparent and thoughtful about their ingredients. And they make this tinted face oil that has a great texture. It's tinted and you can match it to your skin tone and it has SPF in it. So I love my Ilia face oil. So that's a product that 
I've been raving about. And then also, I actually can't even remember the name of it, but I've been sharing this with everybody. Rare Beauty, it's Selena Gomez's company. Rare Beauty makes a lip gloss that I absolutely love. It's like the best texture of any lip gloss I've used. And then non-personal care and beauty related, something I've been raving about in the food world is pizza cupcakes. Have you ever heard of pizza cupcakes? I have not heard of pizza cupcakes. Okay. They were on Shark Tank and I saw the episode where they were on Shark Tank and they looked so good. I bought them immediately. They are like little cupcakes shaped pizzas and they're, they come frozen. So they're like the adult bagel bite, a more high-end bagel bite. They are so good. You just pop them in the oven for 10 minutes and it's this ooey gooey, delicious pizza. Definitely going to try that. Check that out for sure. Uh, Highly recommend. It sounds delicious. So then just to the final question. If you were going to have a dinner party, let's just, all the restrictions are taken off. It's not COVID anymore. And you could invite three people, dead or alive. Who would you pick oh my and God. why? That is such a hard question. <laughs> okay first is sarah blakely i she is my hero and definitely someone that i look up to in terms of my entrepreneur goals she sarah blakely is the founder of Spanx. she started her business in a similar way that i did well first of all we have the same name but so i'm biased but she started her business in a similar way that i did which is she started it in her apartment. I think she maybe borrowed money from her, but very humble origins. And she mm-hmm. grew it into a billion dollar brand and is became, I think one of the youngest self-made female billionaires early. Yeah. I think the first, female. I can't remember. She's a legend. I really look up to her. Yeah. Yeah. She, and she also just has a great sense of humor. I love following her on Instagram. And she just seems like she's got it all figured out. So I think Sarah Blakely, a second would be Marie Curie, who is our namesake for, for my brand. She was the first woman to win a Nobel Prize, the, the first person to win the Nobel Prize twice in two different sciences. And she was just a trailblazer. Like she is the definition of just a first mover badass before her time. She was a scientist in the 1800s. Like women weren't even getting a college education in the 1800s. And she got her PhD and became one of the most famous women in science. And I, I named my brand Curie after Marie Curie because she just kind of represented who I felt like I was building the brand for mm-hmm. people that are out there making moves and are trailblazing and need personal care products that can keep up. So she really um, inspired me for a long time. I actually did a book report on her in like fifth grade and she just stuck with me <laughs> so i'm i named curie after her so i would love for her to join this dinner. she's definitely a must uh, 
Yes. And then I think third is just someone I look up to personally. It would probably be Michelle Obama. I think Michelle Obama is just the definition of grace. And I have so much respect for her. And I think she's, she is one of those people who I would trust her opinion on anything. So I would love to talk to Michelle. And I think those three women would be my, my dinner guests. I actually had the pleasure of, while I was working on the campaign for President Obama in 2008, I had the pleasure of meeting Michelle Obama and her family. And this was without media coverage, without anybody there. The woman is the most kindest, warmest, but the most like inspiring person. She's just an incredible person to meet. So if she's there, then it's going to, and everybody else you mentioned, it sounds like an amazing choices. For sure. I, I totally agree. She just seems like the kindest, good person ever. And I, I love her. Well, I'm so this, jealous that you met her. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this um, interview has been incredible. I think the audience is going to get so many real tidbits and tactics and you know mental models that they can take for themselves. If people wanted to connect with you offline or learn more about Curie, the brand, where can they go? Yeah, so uh, Curie's website, curiebaugh.com. Our, our Instagram is at curiebaugh. So you can find us there. And then personally, you can find me on Twitter. My Instagram, or my, sorry, my Twitter handle is that's Amore, uh, M-O-R-E-T. And yeah, try out our products. I'd, I'd love um, for everyone to try them out. I saw you actually placed an order. Yeah. So thank you for that. Try out our products, help spread the word. That's the best way that you can help. All right. Thank you. Thank you. This was so fun.